In today's episode, Bernadette Judge shares how she works with women to balance their hormones. Bernadette is a registered nurse and whole health expert who takes the guesswork out of hormone health and helps women of all ages look their best by helping them heal from the inside out. Bernadette has held a number of positions throughout her long career in healthcare, from medical researcher to lead nurse in both the OBGYN unit and also in outpatient surgery. She's also held the position of an in-house medical expert for a holistic supplement company. Health journeys and struggles for both herself and close family and friends has given her a unique perspective on wellness and the criticality of stopping disease before it starts. And in fact, today we'll spend quite a bit of time talking about disease prevention. We'll talk about how it's possible um, to cure, quote unquote, slash treat 60% of most issues through diet and lifestyle changes alone. Bernadette references autoimmune and anti-inflammatory diets in today's conversation, and throughout the episode, she shares how she elevates her clients' awareness of their food choices and their physical symptoms. You'll hear how Bernadette's own struggle with melasma ignited her passion to help other women struggling with hormone imbalance, and Bernadette works closely with her clients to tackle everything from PCOS and estrogen dominance to hormonal acne and melasma with a balanced approach that unites both Western and holistic medicine. To find out more about how to work with Bernadette for your own hormonal struggles, reach out to her on Instagram at nursebewellness. And now let's get into today's episode. Welcome to Holistic Wellness, a podcast exploring the science and metaphysics of health and wellness. I'm your host, Brandi Searcy, founder and formulator at Rain Organica, where you'll find holistic skincare in one simple routine. Today, I would like to welcome Bernadette Judge to the show. Bernadette, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Would you share how you got into the role that you're in now where you're taught you're helping people work through their hormonal problems? Well, I say hormonal problems, let's say through their hormones to arrive at a solution to their acne. So <clears throat> I've been a nurse for a long time and I've done outpatient surgery. I've done OBGYN. I've I've even worked with stem cells and I found that my passion was more helping women and balancing their hormones and getting them through pregnancy with all the hormonal imbalances and just helping ladies get in tune with their bodies. Cause I often feel that most of the time when you go to the doctors, they just, they give you a pill and they say, you know, this is normal. You know, PMS is normal. Cramping is normal. Um, You're, you're a female. This just goes with the territory. And it really, 
is not. And I was very fortunate when I did work in OBGYN, the doctor I worked for was very, very conservative, you know, handing out birth control and making sure that women understood what they were putting in their body. Um, she did very, you know, the Morena and Paragards, she did very few of those. She, she didn't like to jump to those when those were popular about 10 years ago. So I was very fortunate then and I noticed I had a really good friend who passed away from ALS and Western medicine just couldn't help her or even keep her comfortable toward the end. And then I took care of my dad when he died of lung cancer and he didn't die from the cancer, he died from the treatment and not even the chemo. They, the chemo didn't shrink the tumor, but it didn't grow. And I really didn't want him to try this experimental drug and he decided he wanted to and the side effects from the drug are actually what killed him. So when I was working with stem cells, I was working with a naturopath who said, well, come work for me, let me show you a few more things. And that's when I started really seeing there's a whole other side to treating people and medicine that starts with prevention, not just when you have the problem, but let's try and not get the problem first. Let's prevent it, be healthy, and then we don't have to go to such extremes when something does come up in our health. I love that and couldn't agree more. I'm sorry to hear about your dad and your friend both. Um, could you share? So, and I think it's so hard to know sometimes on, because sometimes it feels like we're doing all the right things and we still get that cancer diagnosis or we still get that diagnosis with an autoimmune condition. And how, how is what you're doing really helping work around that and work towards that goal of prevention? Uh, educating. So many people do not know, and we can use birth control as an example. So many women don't know the damages that birth control can cause. Um, myself, I have severe melasma that I never would have thought was the birth control pill until I hit 40. And all of a sudden my face just started turning a different color in all the spots. And I said, you have melasma. Do you have a hormone problem? And I said, well, no, but I'm on birth control. And they're like, that's probably it. Um, a lot of women don't realize that they don't ovulate when they're on birth control and it's, you know, a quote unquote fake ovulation. So when they come off birth control and they want to become pregnant, they're having all these fertility problems because they had a little hormonal imbalance. It got worse with the pill because they were trying to regulate. And now they're just really out of whack. So I think just listening to our bodies and learning what the symptoms mean and getting to the root cause is much more um, beneficial for the person. And that's what I like to teach them. And obviously if you've done everything and you still can't, then you know I'm not against Western medicine at all. I feel there's a place for both Eastern and Western medicine. You know, when you break your leg, you're not gonna you know, rub you know, some herb on your leg and the bone is gonna heal. No, you're gonna go into the emergency room and get it casted. But you know, those are some things you can prevent, but other things we definitely can take a look at our lifestyle and what we're putting in our bodies and educate so that people understand that if they eat this and it makes them feel, you know, they eat A, it makes them feel like B, then how can we go about not doing that? Like what is causing it? Maybe they might have a food allergy or maybe they just don't know that, you know, fried French fries every day is not the best for your gut. <laughs> 
Yes. So there are a couple of things that you just said that are excellent questions uh, to lead off. Let's let's just talk about that root cause. And if um, if we keep this kind of steered towards hormones, root mm -hmm. cause and hormones, um, what does that look like? You can have several several different um, causes for your hormones to become imbalanced. Um, number one, I think, is stress. We are so programmed to live a stressful life and to always be on the go, 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 that our bodies eventually say, I can't take it anymore. And cortisol levels rise. Like they're supposed to under stress, but they're not made to stay that high for long periods of time. And when they do, they start trickling down to all the other hormones. And the next thing you know, you're imbalanced in many different places. Um, our gut health you know, a lot of our hormones are made in the gut, our mood, I mean, our mood is made in the gut, serotonin is made in the gut. When we don't have, when we're putting all these bad foods in our body and causing inflammation and causing our body to fight back because it says, I don't like this, um, you're making me feel bad. That's another, um, I, I feel a lot of people don't understand the gut health and foods that we can eat that can improve the gut. Liver health is another big one. Um, I am all about detoxing your liver, but I'm not about, you know, you see all these supplements and they're $150 and you have to go through, you know, three or four phases before your liver can be detoxed. Now our liver is amazing. It is built to take on so much stress and so much of the toxins that we put in our body or are exposed to that your, your liver can do it. You just have to know when your liver's like, I need a little help. And there's lots of things you can do, you know, from drinking tea to incorporating different foods that can help that detoxification process. So I think those are my three top ones for hormone. And then for my fourth is environmental toxins, you know, all the different um, xenoestrogens out there that can come in and cause a little bit of havoc and trick your body into thinking it's there when it's really not. Right. Speaking of liver health, so is there kind of a quick or, so I say quick, but is there kind of um, almost like a checklist that you can, that people can do just to improve their liver health and to help with that detox process? Absolutely. Um, just being, you know, having regular bowel movements is, is keeping your liver happy. A lot of people don't understand that, you know, you can increase fiber and eliminate at least one to two times a day. And that makes your liver happy. Um, you can incorporate different foods like turmeric is a great herb um, that activates enzymes that helps the liver flush the toxins out you know, garlic is great because it has the, it activates the sulfur that helps push all the toxins out of the liver. Just little things that you can add to your food, um, eating leafy greens, fruits and vegetables that are high in fiber are good. Um, tea, tea is a big one. A lot of people don't realize that drinking, you know, maybe switching out tea uh, for coffee when you know your liver's feeling a little sluggish and then going back to coffee after the tea is great in flushing toxins out of the liver and giving it a little help. And since we've already mentioned birth control, um, can you talk a little bit about how that impacts your gut health? Well, impacts your overall health um, and also your gut health. 
Well, the, the birth control, it, it create, like I said earlier, it creates this false ovulation. So your body is going through the steps. It should be taking your body, you know, for most women during reproductive age, it, your body is trained to, to just like our normal cycle, go through these phases and birth control really stops those phases. It tricks the body into thinking, you know, the right levels of hormones are there when they're really not. So you can see over time with, I mean, there's several studies out there that this leads to various conditions like a hypothyroidism, um, it, a lot of autoimmune disorders get triggered with birth control. You, you see women come off birth control and they can't get pregnant and it's because their bodies were so used for so long of being on this pill and not having normal cycles that you have to almost retrain your body afterwards to be at the stage it should be without birth control. Right. And what does that retraining look like? Oh, <laughs> it's, it could take a while. Sometimes it could be really quick and it, it all goes back to the supporting your liver. You, for so many years, you've had these synthetic hormones in your body and your river, your liver's trying to push them out. Um, resetting your gut, making sure that you have the right flora in your gut to produce new healthy hormones. You know, and you need the proteins, the enzymes, all of that. And some of the, you know, the synthetic drugs in birth control can suppress that for such a long time. Um, yeah, exercise, getting moving every day, you know, activating uh, your metabolism to start functioning better. Okay. Circling back around to the, um, the topic of acne and your hormones, mm -hmm. how do you work with women to regulate or like reset their hormonal balance? I, I like to not take a stab in the dark. I know a lot of people will go online, they'll read books, and they really don't know what root cause to, to, to the hormone imbalance and it, you know, which hormone imbalance it is. Cause we have several different hormones that are, are primarily associated with acne and that's estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and cortisol also has an effect because it can wreak habit on those three. And what a lot of people are familiar with is testosterone. And when it's you know, primarily a male hormone, but women make it, we need it, absolutely. And if we have too much of it, that's when we start to see more acne because it creates more sebum in our pores and then they become clogged. We will also see other symptoms, you know, like hair growing in places that, you know, are male dominant, or we could even have hair loss, like hair balding um, with too much testosterone. And then with estrogen, estrogen and progesterone have to have a, a, they function very well together when they're balanced. And there is um, a condition called estrogen dominant where it throws the body out of whack and you have various different symptoms and acne is one of them. And it's, you can either have estrogen dominance as just an excess of estrogen with normal progesterone levels or you can have normal estrogen levels and your progesterone be too low. So that's why I always like to start with if they already have 
labs or if they could get some labs to see you know which one we want to touch on if we need to lower the estrogen or bring up the progesterone. Okay. Do you recommend normal labs conducted through your primary care physician or do you recommend like a Dutch test or some other kind of hormone test that they could do at home? If you can get your regular doctor to run the test, and this is, I, I love giving ladies the list that I would like to see um, and, so, and see if their doctor will run it. Most doctors won't, but you'll get ones that, you know, obviously probably based on what type of insurance you have, will run the tests. Uh, I just had an incident with my doctor where I asked him to run tests and he says, you know, I can't read these, right? And I said, that's fine, I can. <laughs> and he kind of giggled. Um, so I'm lucky that I can tell him to run a test and he'll run it without question. But I know that there are many people out there that cannot. And if you cannot get your doctors to run the appropriate tests, um, I always recommend the Dutch test. I love that test. It's one of the best ones out there for hormones. It really gives you an idea right down to your detox pathways, which you will not get at, you know, a conventional doctor's office because they, there's just not a test out there for it. So it, it all matters where you want to start and how aggressive you want to get in the beginning. Because okay. I, I find that with simple lifestyle changes and diet changes, you could get about 60% well if there's not a major imbalance. Okay. For, okay, speaking for the Dutch test for just a second, would this be the female only where you're, where you're tracking your cycle across the entire month? So you're taking multiple samples through that month or would a single, just like one-off um, Dutch test be suffice? You, you could do a one-off, okay. that, would, that would be good. That's okay. a great place to start. Okay. And then if a woman were to go to her doctor and just ask if he could order the blood test, what would those blood tests be? Definitely a full panel with your LH, your FSH, your sex binding um, hormone globulin, your testosterone levels, your DHEA level, um, and a, a full thyroid panel and not just, you know, TSH, you want your T3, you want your T4, you want your T4 free, you know, just that is a great start with your doctor. And a lot of times they won't run certain ones just because they feel that they don't show anything. Um, I know with me, he didn't really want to run the testosterone or the DHEA. And I said, well, you can't run one without the other. So. Okay. And for the thyroid, I'm just going to throw in the anti-TPO antibody. Yes. yes. And thank you. Anti-thyroglobulin also, just to, just to make it complete. Yes. And what, okay. So with this information, you can, you're like, what are your next steps once you have that? If you, if you know a woman is estrogen dominant, for instance, what does the shift look like? Is it changing her diet? Is it altering how she exercises, like exercising according to her cycle to get that kind of synced up with her cycle? Or what does it look like? I, I would take a look at her symptoms and see what type of symptoms she's having. Okay. Um, are her cycles regular? You know, is she, is she having 
PMS, you know, is she having PMS? Is she having breast tenderness? Is she cramping? Or, you know, how long her periods are? And I would definitely, I always tell women they, they need to start tracking their cycle. Um, and if they don't, I have great posts on my Instagram on how to track your cycle so that they know what phase they're in at what part of the month. And it just, it really tells you a lot. You start, when you start tracking your cycle, you can kind of tell like when your estrogen is rising, when your estrogen is falling, when progesterone, you know, comes up and you start feeling better. So it's really neat when women start to see that and go, oh, I know, I know, I know what's doing this, you know, yesterday, you know, or I could, I could feel myself ovulating yesterday. And, and I'd be like, well, how do you know? And they're like, well, you know, I've been tracking for this long and I could see that, you know, my levels were here. I feel like my levels were high here, low here. So definitely tracking um, is a great, great place to start. Um, I would definitely take a look at what they're eating. If they have any food sensitivities, um, start them on an anti-inflammatory diet because inflammation in the body will, will create that estrogen to rise. I would take a look at their elimination. Are they are they actually getting the estrogen out of their body? Because once we use it, it can be recycled back into the body. And that's normally how we come up with, you know, the increase in estrogen and you become estrogen dominant. We're not really, we're not getting rid of it after we use it and it recircles and becomes active. So I would definitely look at their elimination and detox process. Okay. What, so what if she's not metabolizing estrogen according to the best pathway? Like if, if she were to do the Dutch test and she gives you these and it looks like she's going down like the 16 hydroxylated pathway or, you know, she's got the four kind of active, what, what would be your recommendations there for kind of readjusting or helping her to promote estrogen metabolism down that two pathway? Yes, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, I would start with supporting the first phase of detoxification and probably, you know, get her on high fiber, um, have her take some dim. And then not only when we start, you know, helping that estrogen break down, we also, I feel I'm really big on making sure that phase two is being handled too, because once it breaks down in that first phase and gets into the second phase, if that's not clear either, you'll get rid of some of it, but you also might, you know, bog down that liver and it, it can't get rid of it fast enough. And you're still going to get um, the estrogen recirculating. So definitely supporting phase one and, and two of the estrogen pathways and with diet, eating foods, leafy greens, making sure they're exercising every day, even moving, even if it's just walking, you know, to help that path, that pathway release the estrogen. Okay. Are you a fan of seed cycling? Yes. It doesn't really work for me personally, but a lot of women that I've had try it have great results. I, I like to laugh about it because I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but it's just, for me, it just, it, it, it doesn't really work, but I've had great success with other women. Okay. It, it's just like intermittent fasting. You know, I, I gained weight on intermittent fasting. I'm like, I, I could starve myself and gain weight. It's yeah. just certain things don't work. 
Yeah, I hear you. I, I haven't tried intermittent fasting, but I know it would not work for me because I tend to gain weight when I don't feed my body enough. So there's that. Yeah. <laughs> plus, yeah. Plus, I think with a hypothyroid conditional already, it's not wise to starve no. your body. Um, so when you recommend staying on this topic of seed cycling, just for a minute longer, when you recommend mm -hmm. it, what does it look like? Like, what is your recommendation? Well, I like, I have, I have a little handout that kind of guides them through it before okay. we start the seed cycling. I always like to make sure that they know how to track so okay. they know when to introduce the seeds at the correct amount of time. Okay. Um, are you, when it comes to seed cycling, like, are you a fan of doing both the flax and the pumpkin or, cause I've seen where you do both the flax and the pumpkin at the same time. And then you switch over to the sesame and the, um, sunflower. I've also seen where you cycle through each seed, like basically kind of a week at a time. When I first start them, I like cycling through each of them just to see how their body reacts. Okay. And then if they're doing well, I'll, I will try you know, cause some people don't want it. They just want to pop them all in and get it done, you know, right. incorporate it all at once. Then, you know, if, if they're antsy, it'll be like, okay, let's try this and see how their body reacts. And if it still works, then they can. So it's just, for me, I feel like it's trial and error and what is my client willing to do and, um, will stick to. Okay. Do you have any clients that are using, well, or do you know of anyone who has tried just like one seed all the way through their cycle? And if that has worked to help regulate as well? I have not. Okay. Personally. No, that's, that'd be a good one to look into. And which seed would it be? Yeah. I've just, I've read a couple of papers on using flax to help regulate the cycle and they just use flax like all the way through, through throughout the entire cycle. Oh, that's amazing. That'd be a good one to, to maybe start before the seed cycling. If that doesn't work, then move on to seed cycling. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Because there's, I, I find a lot of, a lot of, and I'm completely guilty of this myself, that um, the easiest route is the best route. Right. And having to remember to, you know, it's like remembering to take a pill every day, remembering to do, you know, certain things on certain days and making sure it's corresponding with the right time of your cycle can, can be confusing yes. and frustrating. And, and then they don't want to do it and they'll, you know, go to the next extreme. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of circling, circling back around to gut health again. When you're, do you work with women who are, you know, thinking about coming off the pill or who have just come off the pill? And what does that look like to kind of restore their gut flora after being on the pill? I work with both. Okay. And I, I always, always say start before you get off the pill. Okay. It'll make the transition um, a lot easier. And I, we start with an anti-inflammatory diet. Um, we take a look at what they're currently eating. Uh, I like to incorporate, uh, I start definitely a month before they come off the pill, uh, probiotics. I really like Megaspore. 
um, for someone who just wants to take a supplement. Um, I have women who want to do it completely like with food and will, you know, put a diet together that they can, they can really, um, that's attainable. That's not unrealistic. And yeah, just making sure they're eliminating. Um, some women will ask about doing a gut cleanse. Um, there are a few herbs um, and supplements that I like for trying to get rid of any bad bugs that are in there that I've used before that I like. So it's basically just getting your gut the healthiest before you come off the pill. Okay. And you mentioned this anti-inflammatory diet a couple of times. What does that look like? Lots of fruits and vegetables. Um, obviously, a, a lot of people will tell me that, oh, I eat this and, you know, I get sick, but I, but I don't have a food allergy to it. So I like to explain, well, that's probably a, a food sensitivity. Um, and, you know, we, I try and work with them to find things that trigger them, what makes things worse and eliminate that from their diet. And then eating anti-inflammatory foods, you know, just uh, we'll go through a list and give them like an ideal diet. So like breakfast, they'll have berries, you know, raspberries, blueberries, strawberries, they can make a smoothie out of it. Uh, I will make sure that they're eating the right kind of fats, like, you know, omega-3 fatty acids, like what kind of fish are they eating? eating? Like, I don't really recommend tilapia, but I will say, you know, have salmon. Um, sardines sound really gross at first, but when you start feeling better and your hormones are balancing, people will say, hey, I don't mind eating the sardines anymore because they're just a, a great quick way to get that omega-3 in. Um, I love broccoli, broccoli sprouts, um, obviously, you know, the sulforaphane in it we know is, is great for bringing down inflammation and helping to balance our hormones. Um, yeah, it's just teas, different teas that will help. I'll tell them to drink during the day. Yeah. So, <laughs> so with you, so I guess like how you approach it is not necessarily eliminating wheat, for instance, or eliminating wheat and dairy at the outset. It's more looking at what they're eating and, and like having a discussion with them and figuring out what foods may be triggering uh, them. Yeah, yes. Okay. So like perfect example, I'm glad you brought up the wheat and the dairy. Um, a perfect example is someone will say, I, you know, sometimes I love ice cream, but you know, the next day I just kind of feel crappy or I crave it more. And then I'll explain, then yes, definitely we would eliminate ice cream to see how they feel. Um, if anyone's having food cravings, especially sugar, we're going to okay. really discuss about, you know, these little bad bacteria in there and maybe um, look at if they have candida and try and, and, you know, get rid of the candida before they come off the pill. So yeah, we do, we do look at the, I look at the dairy, I look at gluten um, it, with their medical background, all that stuff. Okay. So speaking of food cravings, so if they have a food craving, then you eliminate that food? Uh, depending on what it like, if they're, if they're craving broccoli, they can have all the broccoli they want, okay. <laughs> but like sugar, sugar is huge. Um, and it, you know, obviously the more sugar you eat, the more you make your body, you know, you, 
it's just an inflammatory food. And a lot of times when people crave sugar, they also have yeast growing in their gut. And that's okay. something we definitely want to address and get out of there. Okay. So, and you mentioned candida also and, and yeast and all of this. So almost like instead of SIBO, CFO, uh, what does, so I guess, do you incorporate an anti-candida diet in cases? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. We'll get, we'll get rid of, you know, we'll look at their diet, white bread, get rid of the bread, get rid, you know, get rid of the refined carbs. Okay. Um, you know, think about those things. And, and also too, like the meats that they eat, uh, I'm, I'm big on, you know, whatever diet you like, there's a lot of people that say just plants. Um, I personally, I, I do eat grass fed meat. Um, I don't eat it very often, but when I do, you know, it, it's grass fed. So watching what they, what they put in their body that way too. Okay. Do you ask for them to eliminate any, um, any food sources that may have been fed antibiotics? Yes, okay. absolutely. A any type of meat is going to be, you know, grass fed, no antibiotics, free range. Um, and if, if you can fruits and vegetables always without the pesticides, organic, um, grown in your house if possible. Um, I love growing our tomatoes. I just feel they taste so much better than anything else I can get out there, even organic ones. So, you know, going to farmer's markets and, you know, you don't have to pack your refrigerator um, full of food, just getting what you need and, but getting really quality foods that you can eat and that your body will absorb the nutrients and. Okay. When somebody starts working with you, how long do they typically continue that process? I would say for about three months. Okay. Three months. We, we can kind of, cause I, I like to get a feel of their lifestyle. I like to get a feel of what their diet looks like. They, there's questionnaires, any labs that they've had before. And, and if I need to send them out to lab. So generally like the first um, meeting is just getting to know each other, what their expectations are. Um, and so I can come up with a plan and if there's any testing that needs to be done, then we'll get the testing done. And then for the second meeting, we'll discuss their test results. And, you know, hopefully they kind of show us, you know, why this person's feeling this way and we'll take it from there. And generally, you know, three months, depending, you know, on the condition, they, they are, they're really starting to feel better and they can, you know, take things on their own. They've had, you know, I've given them enough educational material that they can say, okay, you know, it spots something before it happens. Um, or, you know, they start having the symptom, they know what they're doing. Um, I had a, a lady that just loved wine and I, I mean, I love wine, but um, she cut it down to a, a glass a day, one, one glass of red wine a day and just couldn't figure out why she was doing everything right. And I had to tell her, you have to cut that glass out. And then she realized, you know, <laughs> three months <laughs> of just the glass a day. And then two weeks after she's like, it was the red wine. I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's so inflammatory. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I, <laughs> I'm torn between asking one last random question, so I'm just gonna go ahead and ask it. What is your, 
what are your thoughts on raw vegetables versus cooked vegetables? <laughs> oh, that big debate. <laughs> you know, there's so many studies on both sides that could prove a really good point. For me, I, you got to listen to your body. Okay. I, I do both. And I don't feel, I, I really don't. I don't feel one is better than the other for every study that you can show me we should be cooking our, our vegetables. I can show you a study that says that, no, you're depleting nutrients from it. Or, you know, it, it, it breaks this down and, or it, it turns this into your body. So I really feel like it's how you feel after you eat it. That first 24 hours after you eat something. Okay. All right, that is great information. How can people find you if they're curious to learn more? They can follow me on Instagram. My handle is nursebee_wellness, be underscore wellness and, or my website at www.nursebewellness.com. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for your time, Bernadette. This thank you for great. having me. This is fun. Yes, thank you. Next time on the podcast, we're unpacking some of the ideas that Bernadette and I discussed in today's episode. Most notably, why a raw foods diet doesn't work for everyone and a little more um, detail about Ayurveda itself. This is circling, coming full steam into that Ayurveda um, series. So it'll be kind of round two of Ayurveda 101. And then in the episode after that, you'll hear my interview with Angela Perger on simple Ayurveda and how she is using Ayurveda to heal her autoimmune conditions. And she has to, and she's very transparent about not being completely healed, but feeling so much better by incorporating Ayurveda into her life. So stay tuned to those episodes. To know when they drop, go ahead and hit that subscribe button, and then they'll load automatically into your playlist when they're live. All right, until next time. Bye.